Greetings. This is Ziggy, and you're listening to the Star Bright Project. Welcome to the Star Bright Project, a Headcast Network podcast about one of the greatest TV shows ever created, Quantum Leap. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Moss. I've been a Quantum Leap fan since uh, 1989. I discovered Quantum Leap through my mother. I was in my room at the time when my mom came in and told me there was a show that I needed to watch since it was about time travel. So I turned on NBC and settled in to watch my first episode. Man, I was hooked. Watched every episode. I rewatched it when it was re-aired on the USA Network and then later on other channels. Joining me is my wife and co-host, Michelle Moss. Hello. Unlike Mr. TV, hey, I resemble that. I can't say that I had the same experience. I may have seen two, three episodes, and what I did see, I thoroughly did enjoy. When I met Aaron, it was one of those moments that surprised him when I told him that I actually knew of the show. Though, I didn't tell him how little I had actually seen. Here it is 14 years later, and now I'm watching each episode in order, one by one, as if it was a new primetime TV show, and I truly am excited. I do hope my inexperience will bring some nostalgia back to some of the old fans as I relive some of the mysteries and ask some questions you may have once asked back when you took your first leap with Sam and the rest of the Star Bright Project crew. Join us monthly as Michelle and I settle in and watch the entire run of Quantum Leap. I'm the Quantum Leap, I guess, expert on the show. (laughs) And I'm going to be the one asking a lot of questions, but hopefully helping reignite people's love for the show through a fresh pair of eyes. And we can experience it together on the Starbright Project podcast. Welcome to the Starbright Project. This is Season 2, Episode 3, and I am your host, as usual, Aaron Moss. And as always, joining me is my beautiful wife, Michelle. Hello, hello, hello. But as usual, we're not alone. We have cats and dogs here, but besides that, (laughs) we also have our friend from the marvelous magical land down under, Mr. Hayden McQueen. He just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. And he said, I come from a la la la. Yeah, I think we might have to call this episode the Americanization of Hayden, but it has to be spelled with an S and not a Z. <laughs> there you go. Or is that my first is that my first uh, lesson in Americanization? The first writing everything how it's how it sounds instead of how it's actually supposed to be written. The first rule of Americanization is the English language is screwed up, mm-hmm. but that's not story entirely. <laughs> yeah, from what I hear, it's because of um, printing costs. They wanted to shorten everything so that it wouldn't cost as much to print stuff. That's what I hear too. But there's still other things that but, I've never heard that. Mind, so yes. okay. Yeah, that's fair. there's another reason that's pretty much accepted worldwide, but it might insult you both, so I won't say it. <laughs> We're done American. You can't insult us. Yeah, we had who for a president? <laughs> okay. Um, so, what are we doing? The Americanization of Machiko. The Americanization of Hayden. Yeah, I mean, Machiko. Yes. Uh, this was <laughs> close enough. <laughs> this was directed by Gilbert Shelton, written by Charlie Coffey, 
The leap location was Oak Creek, Ohio, in August the 4th of 1953, and this originally aired October the 11th of 1989. The synopsis. Again, I've stolen this from quantumleap.fandom.com, uh, because again, I can't get a little linky. Sam leaps into Charlie McKenzie, a Korean War era vet and sailor returning home from being stationed at a U.S. Navy base in Japan with his Japanese wife, Machiko. Machiko? I'm going to screw that up every this entire Machiko? episode. Machiko. 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 Come on, you're the ones who watch the episode. I'm yeah. doing this from memory. <laughs> <laughs> with his Japanese wife, Machiko. Sam must ensure that Charlie's mother accepts his new bride, as well as warding off the affections of Charlie's conniving ex-girlfriend and protecting Machiko, I'm screwing it up, from the racial prejudice of an embittered World War II vet. Uh, this episode... Maybe we should just call it... Maybe we should just call it M. Oh, we'll call it the... Uh, it's the pretty hard to stuff that up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, watch me. I'll screw it up. Uh, this starred playing as Charlie in the mirror was Bill Arnold. Machiko was Leah Lee Olson. Henry McKenzie was Wayne Tippett. Lenore McKenzie was Kay Callahan. And Naomi was Elena Wool. So, uh, Hayden, I'm sure you've seen this once or twice. Uh, a year, yeah, <laughs> since I was about, I don't know, 10. <laughs> <laughs> and we talking, you, you've been watching quality this time, so you watched it first run, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, no, oh, okay. well, maybe, maybe close to the first run when it was in Australia, but that was still several years after it originally ran. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. How old do you think I am? You insulting me. Uh, 75? <laughs> <laughs> well, I admit, I'll admit I look great for 75. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I forget you're all just young as compared to me. <laughs> yeah, when this came out, I was uh, 19. Anyway, you old moving. fart. I am. <clears throat> I plead the fifth. And Michelle, we know this is your first time watching it, so yes. let's go ahead and I gave you the synopsis. Let's go and get some thoughts on this. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Michelle, since this is your first time watching this episode. What are your thoughts on the Popeye episode, as you call it? Yes, so I <laughs> named it the Popeye episode because, well, he was a sailor. Um, but honestly... I really liked this one. It, it's one of those that um, I think it's up there and one of my favorites, to be honest with you. I Not that, like, my grandfather actually brought home, like, a Japanese bride or anything. But that you're aware of. That I'm aware of. <laughs> However, my grandmother, my, my grandfather was um, in the military during this time. He was in the Air Force. And he did the communications aspect of it and i've seen pictures and pictures of him and his buddies and all of that and they were in japan and um i can't pronounce it now but i'm not gonna even try but every time he would hang up with me he would actually say in japanese to me that something like he loves me very much or something and um I would say it back to him. I'm not going to even try doing it because I'll probably just murder it. And someone be like, that's not even close. You're actually saying, you know, pickles are in the refrigerator or something like that. But, mm. um, well, that's a logical place for them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, and my grandmother has like a bunch of kimonos and that kind of thing from that era. So 
part of me was just kind of interested in that whole concept as well. But as far as the actual show itself goes, I thought it was really well done. I feel like it was kind of up there with uh, the other episodes about racism and equality and that kind of thing because once again she came in and people were gawking at her and uh, this was during Pearl Harbor and there was Japanese concentration camps and all of that and it just I don't know I just I liked it for what it was worth. I wanted to smack the crap out of his mother. Um, she, that woman played a really good racist woman. Uh, and the, I loved the father. I thought the father was really kind hearted and welcoming. I felt that, I don't know. I just, there, there was a lot of things to it that I enjoyed. I knew for a fact that the, army guy or whatever, the guy with a little beret on his hat. I'm going to call him the truck bastard because that's what he was. Um, or the truck jerk if I want to filter myself a little bit. Um, he kind of reminded me of like a biff almost when they were in the truck. I was like, is he really going to like try to biff her or something like that? You're referring to Rusty? Yeah. But so, And you're referring to biff from Back to the Future? Yes. Of yes. course. Yeah. So I was like, is he going to like try to like biff her if you guys know catch my drift? But oh, yeah. mm-hmm. no, he tried to shank her <laughs> or stab her. But oh, I thought you meant when you meant to biff her. But no, I, his <sighs> whatever. Um, but I, his story about the arms and losing his you know his arms and that kind of thing, and I don't know. It just there was a lot to it that was really heavy, um, and the ex-girlfriend just kind of cracked me up a little bit, but I wanted to just smack her too. I thought that and I know I'm just kind of bouncing through. I'm just trying to throw out ideas until we start kind of going through the actual show itself, but it was just one of those episodes that I was able to really follow really well. Uh, I did not expect the ending. I was kind of worried that they were going to leave it as far as like the mother not accepting her, but the end almost brought me to tears. I just thought it was a moving way to show. And and I don't want to say it quite yet. Um, we'll get into like exactly what had happened, I guess. But it just, I don't know, I really just enjoyed the episode. And in fact, I wouldn't mind watching it again. And usually that's when you can tell if I've enjoyed it because I do not like rewatching things. So, oh, nice. yeah. So for me, if I'm like, yeah, I would sit down and watch that episode with someone else or just watch it for the enjoyment of myself, then you know that I, I thoroughly enjoyed that episode. So I'm giving it a two thumbs up and a rewatch, which is <laughs> pretty high awesome. on my chart. Well, you just have to watch the, the women episodes first and then you can go back and watch it to your heart's content. Nah. Hayden, you just throw so much at me at one time, but I'm not complaining because then I get to watch more. But. Yeah, well, the, the best way to get someone to learn something is just to throw them in the deep end and have them learn on the job. There so, you go. Swim or sink, huh? Sink or swim, that's right. Sink or swim, yeah, either way. Yeah. And you haven't sunk yet. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you've sunk to my level a few times, but other than that, I think you're all right. 
You just don't know what my level is. <laughs> I can't remember. She married me. Okay, maybe. So are you, are you saying as long as I set the bar, you're still going to find a way to limbo under it? Of course. Damn straight. <laughs> I may have to hold you to that. <laughs> I've noticed you've started using quite a lot more swearing in your vocabulary since you've known me. Oh, Hayden, you don't know me that well. She was being nice at the beginning. You gotta remember, I, I I was I was a preschool teacher. I cannot cuss even when getting hit in the head with a shoe. So she used to work text with a bunch of guys. So yeah, exactly. I I've learned how to just filter myself because otherwise I'd just go insane. Yeah, I had a a kid actually kick his shoe up in the air and it came down square hit me right in the middle of the head and all the other teachers jaws hit the floor thinking I was going to just completely lash out at him and all I did was turn around and went Caden that wasn't very nice and then turned around and walked off and they're like wow she really held it together quite nicely there so yeah yeah well look I think when people are in pain it's definitely uh it's definitely an acceptable reason to swear. It's actually been proven that swearing while you're in pain helps reduce the amount of pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen so, that yeah, I, I don't think anyone mm-hmm. would blame you if you did let out a few F-bombs and worse. So. Oh, I don't know. You could get in pretty big trouble in the childcare industry for that. Especially at a Christian school. Yeah. Well, this one wasn't a Christian <laughs> school, but it was the YMCA, yeah. but that's besides the point. <laughs> Anyway, we were talking about Machiko, weren't we? Yes. I I think so. I thought she was really pretty, too. (laughs) I think she was very, very pretty. Uh, So no insulting the female lead this time? Nope, nope. She didn't have a huge forehead. (laughs) I thought Lenore had a big forehead, though. Is that the... Oh, yeah. No, she... No, that was the girlfriend, wasn't it? No, the the ex girlfriend. Oh, yeah, that's, that's that was Naomi. the ex girlfriend. Yeah, that's Naomi. Oh, that was Naomi. Yeah, uh, yeah never mind. Lenore's you know what mom. I meant. Played by Kay Kelly. You're getting more. Fl- you're getting more fluent in translating, Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I thought that she was pretty too. I liked her outfits a lot. I thought she had some really cute clothes. Um, but then again, I like that that era, the pinup era, and that kind of thing as well. So. But what did you think of Scott Bakula in the barn? I see <laughs> Hayden, you always try to like do that to me. And I swear to you, like, I just thought, man, another shirtless thing of him. How many times do they have to do this? And then I thought to myself, are they really trying to make him like a sexual icon? I don't think they were trying to make him one. I think a lot of the ladies liked him. And that plus we it's not he just took a shirt off the heck of it. I think where he took it off was very appropriate because he was out in the barn working. He was getting hot. He was hot and, and sweaty a lot and of guys, manly and oh my word. A lot of guys out there working in the barn do that. <laughs> that's what I hear. I, I don't do work in the barn, so I don't know, but that's what I hear. We live <laughs> yeah, in we do. the fruit capital of the world here in Fresno, <laughs> California. And I know a lot of people who work farm and ranches. A, they don't look like Scott Bakula. As far as their body wise goes, and second of all, no, they do not take off their shirt. Uh huh. But maybe they would if, if they, they look looked like, like Scott Bakula. <laughs> they wouldn't be working the farm if they looked like Scott Bakula. They'd be working something else. <laughs> but no, I mean, so no rolling around in the hay. No, <laughs> he's not my type. But I will say that he did have a. He seemed to be a lot more tone 
in that episode from last few episodes that I've seen. Like, I went, did he get more muscular? Has he been working out? You know, that kind of thought process. Well, I, I think like, I think they probably did have a little bit of a airbrushing a break between the two <laughs> between the two seasons. So he might have gone to the gym a few times that um, during the break. Who knows? Then quantum leaping take a lot out of you and you get you very fit. I don't know. I think he's just been kind of getting it on a few times and lost some calories <laughs> and built some muscle that way too, from what we've been seeing. But well, well, maybe the leaping process just burns a lot of calories. Yeah. I mean, he has to be transported instantly from one time to the next and one place to the next. I'd say it would use a lot of energy. Or it just kind of makes you lose particles here and there. <laughs> so I'm thinking. <laughs> it's like liposuction for the nerds. <laughs> Count me in. So Hayden, what are your thoughts on yeah. this episode? Yeah, the one that you refuse to speak of now because it's too difficult say. to say. Yeah. <laughs> The um, yeah, this is a good this is a good one. I enjoy watching this one as well. Um, it's not one that I would naturally go back to, like if I think of my my top ten, which I'll go back to all the time. But uh, yeah, it's definitely like Michelle said, worth a rewatch any time that you're in the mood. Um, I also really like Machiko and think she's really pretty, and I think um, I used my words to be nice. <laughs> And not sleazy. That was really smooth. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm smooth as silk. Uh, <laughs> I'm smooth as this chocolate bunny that I'm eating because it's just been Easter. Uh, yeah. And actually, this chocolate's not bad. It was Aldi brand and it's still quite good. <laughs> but what was I saying? Um, that you thought Machiko was really pretty. Yeah, um, both in her Japanese getup and also in her American getup. So, yes. yeah, she looks like she can wear anything and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, by the way, I forgot to mention, you know, as a sign of respect, I'd better say that uh, Aaron, you and your wife are, wife are both very fat. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Oh, I was. Uh, <laughs> I'm so look on her face like, what the. <laughs> I know I am, but shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just love that line. Yeah. And like, it took the fact me that- a hot minute. And I mean, Aaron's dying here because I'm, I'm looking off into space and I'm trying to process what you're saying. And I'm like, does he see me? Like literally, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I mean, she's, I know I am, but come on. Like how rude. Yeah. I'm, like, yeah. I'm not the Look, one eating I- the f- Really bunny feel for dude. in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel for Machiko in that scene, especially because yes. she doesn't really have the language skills to be able to, you know, give what's the name of the girlfriend, the ex girlfriend Naomi, Naomi, a serve afterwards. The best she can come up with is, "You're not a nice person." Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would have been nice if she could have some amazing comeback there, but I, I think, think it, it just fitting. really helped us feel for her. So yeah, and I, I, yeah. Just, I really like that comeback. That you're not nice, not very nice. I, I thought I thought that was very in character and very just very shows how how naive and how sweet she is. Yeah, and just not that. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have a lot of vocabulary. So to actually call someone not nice, I mean, that's probably the equivalent of someone telling you you're a jerk face, right? You know, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, probably a word that you use to describe me lately. No. <laughs> so I guess it yeah, been, so, don't think it may have been better. Maybe if she would have said something in Japanese, but I don't. That may have so that would have been from, good. I think that, but, but see, she was trying to be acclimated into right, the American I understand, culture. But she, so. she was so frustrated. I could see her slipping back and and saying something Japanese. And maybe it's not even that bad, but, but that, see, that could have been a was, whole different thing. I mean, she could have said something in Japanese. It's not really not that bad, but since it's a foreign language, that you know, anybody could have taken it. You know, yeah, like but she was a very and, classy woman, right. though. So yeah, this is true. So for her, that would give her dishonor to her husband. Well, no, that's being, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, but being vulgar in no. any regard. Well, no, she's not being vulgar. She says something in Japanese that's you know, like heck with your. So not even that strong. But since it's in a foreign language, Nomi not understanding what she's saying, maybe Nomi thinks she's saying something worse than she actually did. And but then you're writing more of the story, right? But yeah. This could Deborah be. Pratt's told us not to do that. Yeah, Stop. shame on you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bow my in shame. But I will say that I, I, I was horrified at the makeup job that uh-huh. Naomi did on her as well. I thought that was just her Mimi makeup was just awful and cringy and I liked when Scott Bakula wiped her face off and told her she was beautiful either way he didn't put her down in any regard as far as wow what they do to your face or anything like that he just kindly wiped it off and told her she was beautiful with no matter what and I liked that I liked that the character I'm hoping but see <laughs> this is where I have my problems with the show and not may not Maybe necessarily the show, but the character versus not the character, but Sam versus the person he's lupped into. How much of that was the leapy or the leapor? You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's there's no yeah. real definite answer. That I think that was a lot. That was I think that was pure Sam Beckett's. And again, I'm looking at this from having seen all five seasons and reading books and comics on and everything, so... Because you guys always say that he pulls from the person that he leaps into. into. Sometimes. And sometimes more than others. (sighs) I mean, it's not a consistent... See, that bothers me, though, that if it's not consistent. Well, you're dealing with the mind. I mean, it's it's hard to be consistent. Some episodes, like the, the Lee Harvey Oswald episode, he was pulling... A whole heck of a lot of Oswald in. Blah, blah, blah. In other episodes, it's just bare minimum. Yeah. Well, I think in this case, it probably was a lot of Sam because judging by what happened originally, um, it seems like the real, what was the name of the leap here again? Charlie. The real Charlie, thank you. Probably didn't stand up for people very much and wasn't, well, definitely wasn't willing to stand up for Machiko because ultimately he divorced her and sent her back and ended up with Naomi for a disastrous marriage. So, yeah, I think uh, it's mostly Sam who's the one that's defending her and who's trying to to really bring out her inner beauty that he hopes everyone will see. It makes me wonder, though, you know, what's it going to be like once Charlie comes back. Thank you. I was just going to say that. Well, see, I think, yeah, I could be wrong, but I think Charlie's a nice guy. I think he just gets too much under peer pressure. Well, I think he's and, also probably a mama's boy. Well, that too. And now that his mom's, his, his mom's, his mom's is accepted Machiko. I'll get it right. Uh, now that mom's accepted Machiko, 
it may make things easier for Charlie to stick around. Again, he's not going to be Sam by any means, but I think that change to Lenore will help Charlie be a better person in the future. And a husband. And a better husband. But see, he's got a father that pretty much uh, I feel like mimics what a good husband should be. Except for the fact that I think maybe he was a little bit of a doormat compared to the wife. but Or he just kind of, you know, let her be. Because I think they were, they kind of reminded me of like a Southern Baptist family. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, she's very overbearing. He's, he's very complacent, very picking his battles and, and not battling very many of them. Yeah, but he was just very, you know, soft-hearted yeah. and compassionate too. Very much like Sam. And in the line in the mo- in the show where he's like, being with this man made me feel like I was back home. Right. And he kind of compared him to his own father. And I felt like that was kind of a neat thing because it kind of led you to kind of compare fathers without even knowing Sam's other father or real father, I guess you should say. Um, And I felt like it made me understand Sam's personality a little bit more because if his father reflected that kind of personality, then you can kind of see where Sam got his personality from. Does that Yeah, make- I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was but like, it's also to <laughs> happy wife, happy life. So I also think that he's, that the father has realized this well before the leap date here and is just like, right, I don't have a problem with what Charlie's doing, but I'll still back my wife up because that's what I've got to do and right. just try and get everything smoothed out between everyone. Yeah. So, Well, yeah, he's definitely uh, a peacemaker in the family. Yeah, definitely. Just going back, because we were talking a bit about how Machiko should have spoken more Japanese, especially when she was trying to, you know, tell Naomi off, but we actually discovered that Sam speaks Japanese. Yep. Oh, yeah. He yeah. speaks in foreign languages, like six foreign languages, wasn't it? Something like that. And he, he speaks like four seven. dead ones as well, yeah. something like that. <laughs> he can read hieroglyphics, and I think he speaks Latin as well. But, uh, but yeah, Japanese seems to be one of the languages that he speaks. And um, Na- not Naomi. I keep mixing up Naomi and Lenore. <laughs> Lenore. <laughs> I'll get it. Um, Lenore was saying, Charlie, where did you learn that gibberish? (laughs) But I love the father. He's just like, he was over there for five years. years. (laughs) However it was. I think it was two years. (laughs) Yeah. Which uh, also brought something up. You said in the synopsis that uh, Charlie was a Korean War veteran. It actually didn't occur to me that it was Korea because he was obviously stationed in Japan somewhere. I thought it was something to do with like uh, the end of the Second World War. I know that had been eight years prior, but I, I, I know that Americans were still over in Japan and trying to get everything smoothed out, um, for better or for worse. So I thought that was actually what Charlie was there for. So I could be wrong, but, yeah, I actually thought it was something to do with Japan and the end of the Second World War. Are you sure it wasn't? Well, that's, I got that from Quantum Leap fandom, so... Hmm. Yeah. Because it seems more logical to me it would be something to do with a war that yeah. Japan was actually a part of. Yeah, well, actually, that makes and, more sense. Oh, we talk about now, we talk about it later. I got that for my uh, brush of history. But uh, yeah. Oh, well, we can leave that. We can leave that then if you want. So, but, I mean, but yeah. Korea makes sense in terms of timing, right. but not in terms of the um, 
not in terms of what actually happens in the episode, though. So that's why I thought it was something to do with the end of the Second World War. But what was I going to say? I I suppose they could have just as easily made Machiko Korean, though, if they really wanted to have it tie in with Korea. So real quick, he speaks six modern languages, including English, Spanish, French, Russian, Germany, and Japanese. But as we know from previous episodes, he doesn't speak Italian. (laughs) He knows four extinct languages, including Egyptian hieroglyphics. And he has other things which we'll get into right now. But <laughs> I didn't think he spoke Ru- No, he doesn't speak Russian. Because he, in Lee Harvey Oswald, started speaking Russian and was surprised oh, yeah, by see. it. And- well, yeah, so th- I'm pulling this from the Wikipedia page. That's why they yes. tell so, you not to trust Wikipedia. Yes. We never use Wikipedia as a source. <laughs> well, I'm not doing this as a paper. I have to drum this into my students too. Uh-huh. Yeah, if I was doing this for a paper, I wouldn't. But <laughs> <laughs> First-hand sources only. Or scholarly well, sources. Okay, the quantum leap. exactly it. The quantum leap leak is the same thing. Yeah. I'm just browsing there now. But no, like, he's... Sam is obviously very accomplished because he has, what, seven doctorates as well. And yep. as we said, he speaks six modern languages and four dead languages, I think we said. So very, very accomplished. Do we happen to remember what his doctorates are in? Uh, not offhand, I can tell you, though. No. Nope. Um, yeah. Well, quantum physics, obviously, and he's right. a medical doctor. Um, I think music is one. I would say um, don't give me too much because I'm... So I'm looking at... What is this? Ma- Maverin.com. And they've got listed medicine, which you find out in the pilot, quantum physics, PhD, ancient languages, and music. And I think also something like anthropology or and there something are some, like that he must have as well, but we'll figure out why that is later on. <laughs> and, and there's also yeah, some strong possibilities for archaeology or Egyptology. Egyptology, <laughs> astronomy, computer science, physical or neurology, neurology that we uh, that may be. And then we know he does not have one in psychiatry. And he's uh, not a lawyer. We know that and he's not the law, as mentioned those yeah. two episodes. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it would be really nice if they actually laid this out in front of us. But the thing is, I think. Being so early in the season and not knowing well, the series, I should say, and not right. knowing where they're going to go, they have probably deliberately kept things purposely blank so that they can add something, you know, when the time comes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But no, it'll be interesting to see these things come up. I think Al, Al must be a pretty accomplished scientist as well, even though he's done everything else under the sun, too. <laughs> And uh, yeah. real quick, same website, talks about languages. This says that Al said that Sam speaks 11 languages, seven modern languages, and four dead ones. Oh, well, there we go. Since oh, I, well, that might include English. We might not have said English. Well, yeah, English. <laughs> and this has listed as English, German, Spanish, Japanese, and French is what this site has listed as ones that we know of. And two others, which don't include Russian or Italian. It does say here he doesn't speak Hebrew. He doesn't speak uh, Russian, as you mentioned, or Italian. So that's what this was. So this site site sounds a little more trustworthy, a little more accurate than the wiki. (laughs) Fair enough. You know, uh, it makes me wonder something. I might go a little quantum deep here. But uh, what do you think would happen if Sam leapt into someone who spoke a language that Sam didn't, 
and he was immersed only in that language. Do you think he'd be able to tap into the Lee P and be able to get the language skills from that person? Most likely. Also, I mean, when someone knows different languages, they they oft once they say you know two languages, it's easy to learn a third and a fourth. So I feel like that if he is so accomplished in all of these different languages and even the dead ones, I feel like he would be able to immerse himself more easily than say you or I because he already has a more foundation for it. Well, his his neurons and stuff are already processed picking up new languages and he can actually decipher how to break down. Yeah, I get that. The actual. And also like we found out in the Oswald episode, depends on how deeply ingrained Sam is with the person's psyche. The more deeply involved he is or the more deeply he's bonded with them, the more the language become easier for him. Yeah, I know I agree with that, but I'm just wondering, do you think maybe over time he might be able to train himself so that he can tap into the Lee P when he needs to? I think that would be a really interesting concept if they ever went that way. Well, I mean, look what Al's done. Al was able to figure out how to make himself seen um, in the Christmas episode. He also figured out that he could make himself being heard and driving Miss Daisy. So, I mean, if he's able to do these type of things, I'm sure that Sam being who he is could eventually, if he actually wanted to or actually had the need to or the desire to, I guess is a better word, to do that. I think that he probably could in some aspect tap into that, I guess. Yeah, that's that's easily possible. Maybe they could even bring the leapy into the waiting room, perhaps, and... uh have that person translate if needed, because we've seen that Al can translate Italian. Right. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, there's many ways they could get around it if need be. Um, Speaking of Al, though, this Hmm. episode does the thing that annoys me the most. Ziggy's useless again. I can't believe it. They just didn't check far enough back to find out that Charlie was married. See, I'm going to disagree with you on that. While you don't like it, I actually like that. It shows that... Don't rely on computers. Yeah, don't rely. No, no, that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> Do your research. Do your research. Don't but trust But really, how, how difficult is it to just get a little bit of a profile of the person, especially in the time period that Sam's in? They could have talked to the person in the waiting room and he, he, the person, uh, Charlie, would have been like, oh, make sure my wife's taken care of or something like that. But no. They're just completely yeah, you useless. Mean, and- you mean the same person who's probably in a waiting room going, where the hell am I? Take me home. I was saying, Are I don't you? Know, yeah, we don't know Charlie. I don't think we know Charlie's status in the waiting room. As, as me and you know, Hayden, from other episodes, sometimes they're fully coherent and, you know, can interact. And sometimes it seems like they're, from what we get from Al, they're not quite with it. Yeah, I know that. But what I'm saying is there's many things they could have been doing to prepare themselves better. Oh, they could. Is what I'm saying. And that's just a possibility. Right. Oh, no, definitely. But also, I like the fact that he's from a smaller town. And a lot of times, smaller towns, especially back in the 50s and 60s and stuff, it's harder to find out some information. Because like we found out in the trilogy episode, they didn't have a lot of information because the local library, whatever it was, burned down. Yeah, I understand that. At least that was a reasonable excuse. But just the fact that they didn't do their research, I don't think is acceptable. 
So at least I wouldn't think that if I was Sam and leaping right. around and relying on them for information. But yeah, see, I, yeah. That, that plus the whole fact that the whole thing is kind of, if I say haphazard, because again, the whole project went kind of caca. So I mean, they're they're kind of learning as they go. I think. Yeah, but see, that's even more yeah. of a reason to be more careful, not less. Right, but that's so. what, that may be why. Again, that's maybe that's why I accept it more than where you're. Well, maybe they're preoccupied because, and they just didn't have time to really dig as deep as you would want them to. Who knows what's going on in the present? It quotes present. But. Well, I still don't think it would have hurt the writers to come up with a better excuse other than we just didn't check far enough. Yeah. Like, yeah that, that I, I, I don't think that's acceptable, but that's my See, opinion. I think because Aaron and I both were in tech support, <laughs> <laughs> we kind of just accept the fact that things go wonky, even though like they shouldn't have. <laughs> Like servers and computers and whatever the case may be. I mean, you know, the hybrid. Yeah. Like the art computer. I mean, things. Because there is people who call in and be like, well, I just bought this computer. It shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. And you're like, well, I'm sorry, but it's a computer. It's Windows. Welcome to technology. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I don't care if you just bought it off the showroom. It could go wrong. Or it's just like we would explain it in like car terms. You just bought the car, but you could take it off the lot as a brand new car, drive it off the lot, and the transmission go bad because there's one certain part that doesn't work correctly and it messes up the whole entire thing. It happens. That's what could happen with Ziggy and all that stuff. You don't, I guess that's, I don't take it so literal, I guess you could say, because I just accept the fact that technology sucks. Look, it does, but I, this seems more like human error based on what Al was saying. And even with, I know that humans obviously are not as reliable as computers with research, but still, you know. No, I see where you're Try and from. do your research, be thorough, don't miss anything, or at least avo- try and avoid missing things. Sometimes right. it happens, I agree with you there, but. This just seemed like negligence. Be what again? Be careful is what I was saying or be thorough. That's the word. <gasps> thorough, yeah. I just wanted to hear you say it again because it was just funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to let it go until you said it because it's thorough where we are, not thorough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I... <laughs> your accent. Oh, your Australian yeah. accent. So is this the next Americanization lesson of Hayden, is it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Americans are mean people. I just, I just wanted to hear it again. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I know that was an small move of mine, but hey, I am American. You've <laughs> <laughs> really busy on this. I could call you a word there, but I won't because that's, that's too much of a term of endearment here. Deep, warm, inviting, useful, you know. <laughs> hey, I called you that earlier in a message, so yeah, you owe me one. <laughs> At least. So anyways. Yeah. Anyway, but getting back to what I was saying there, I felt so bad for Machiko when she was left behind too. Yeah, that like just being... really sucked donkey balls. I mean, and everybody look I, – I was really – that kind of surprised me. I wasn't expecting that in the episode. I don't know why. Like, I had no clue what the Americanization of Machiko meant. I thought it was maybe a city or something. So I had no clue. But when they panned over to see her and I'm like, oh, he's got a Japanese bride. And then 
they left. I'm like, oh no, what is he? What is she gonna do? And then I put myself into her position. And I was just like, I would just sat on the curb and cried. Like, <laughs> yeah. And not only that too, but she forgives him straight away. Like, no, no kind of argument or anything like that when she finally catches up to him. And I, I did love the conversation with the cop though. I looking for a husband. <laughs> You're looking for a husband. <laughs> no, I looking for. My husband. <laughs> I thought that was super cute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's the thing. If they'd done their research properly, then maybe they could have prevented something like that. But then again, you know, I guess that was very early in the episode and uh, yeah, and very early into the leap. So maybe they just didn't have the time to even give uh, Sam any warning. Yes. Yeah, Although sometimes we see some episodes where Al's there almost immediately after the leap. So maybe Al was um, using the restroom, or he was with uh, Tina. Tina. I almost said Trina. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Al is an astronaut. Why doesn't he have a suit that he can do his business in when he's in the waiting room? Because they don't. Look because that's just kind of gross. They don't look as snazzy as used to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but look. I did like a whole lot of the episode, and um, I just thought that Machiko was very forgiving of everything that was going on. Like, she sees him rolling around in the hay with Naomi and thinks, you know, immediately believes his story of what happened, how they kind of fell together and but see, I think that forgiving goes... him for forgiving him for leaving her behind. and But I think that goes with the culture of that type of woman for the Japanese culture. I mean, they they weren't supposed to question their husbands. They I Very mean shoot, she yeah, like she was wanting to wash feet and all of that. So I'm sh I'm positive that she may have thought about it, but it wasn't she she does it's kind of like she she was blinded. She was too not too blind, but she just didn't I don't even know how I want to word it. She I just feel like maybe it wasn't on her radar. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe she, she just didn't think it a place to say anything. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. she and and the fact that she was running around with no top on, I mean I was waiting for her to turn around. I bet you were. <laughs> but what did I, I, the guy, the bad guy, Biff. Oh, Rusty. Biff. Rusty Biff. <laughs> he hardly had any speaking parts, but he still had a very om ominous presence. I can never say that word, but. Ominous. Ominous. There we go. And. See, I can say some words correctly. Yeah. <laughs> just not thorough. Hey, all of my pronunciations are very thorough. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just feel like he had a presence to him. I was like, she needs to get out of that truck. You need to get out of the truck. Just open up the doors and tuck and roll. But, you tuck know, I was expecting her also to get uh, when she was picking the flowers on the side of the road. I was expecting for her to get in trouble by the cops or something along those lines, because uh, in California, you're not allowed to pick poppies off the side of the road. It's, it's actually illegal to pick the California poppy if it's growing wildly. You're not supposed to do it because it's the state flower. But okay. I was expecting her to get in trouble. But then when I saw her tap the flowers to get the, um, get the bugs off, the bugs off, I thought that was really neat because 
as a mother-in-law myself to see her do something that the mother-in-law actually did, you know, and kind of lectured her husband on. I believe it was her husband. Uh, no, it was Naomi. It was Naomi. Naomi That's what it was. The flowers for yeah. Me. I just feel like, you know, that she would be a, a great daughter-in-law, you know, and the stupid woman wasn't giving her a chance and she was trying her best, you know, cooking them rice and trying to wash her feet and doing the laundry and scrubbing the floor and all these things that in her culture and her, in, in her, her world, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. I don't want to say that in her, in her culture were signs of endearment or honor or showing them respect. And when the mom actually sent her out into the storm and she didn't think twice on it. That was kind of bad, like really bad because you know, these people lived through storms before and tornadoes and whatnot. You know how serious they could be. And she's just like, Oh, I'm just going to let that Japanese woman leave. And if she dies, Oh, well, it wasn't on me. I mean, that was just mean. I don't know. Well, the thing is too, what danger would Lenora put herself in if she had gone after Machiko though? It's like how, People who are helping out in emergencies, like as paramedics, the first thing that they always have to do is determine if there's any danger to themselves before they even go in. So, I mean, it made sense to me that Lenore wouldn't go after her because she, then she's out in the in the massive storm as well and just as likely to get hurt. But, yeah, I guess she could have done more to try and stop Machiko from leaving, though. Mm-hmm. But or what you were saying about like the shaking the bugs off as well. Oh, um, yeah. What you were saying about shaking the bugs off as oh. well. I really liked the callback to what Lenore had said earlier. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, first of all, I like Machiko's common sense. And second, I, like you say, it seems like if Lenore would, you know, put in any effort, then they would find common ground on things and would probably get along. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you on that. I don't like... The scene in the hospital. How I mean, I do like the fact that Sam tells Lenore, go in there and tell her that you, you know, you care whether she lives or dies. And, you know, her response is, Well, I'm a Christian. I'm like, Yeah, well, how many Christians don't care about people who die? <laughs> you know, being Christian doesn't make you a good person, just like not being religious doesn't make you a bad person. You know, it, don't use your religion as any kind of a measure of morality. You know, actually do some action to show your morality. Yeah, but so. there are a lot of people who believe that just because they are of a certain faith, that is their equivalent to being such, you know. And Yeah, I, I do know that. But what I'm, I'm just pointing it out that, yeah, you know, I but, don't want people to take that away from the episode. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of – the reason why I liked it because it actually led us to understand what happened to – Charlie's sister, as far as, you know, all of that, and that Naomi had a hand in that, and it just made Naomi even more of an evil hooch, you know, in that she... What also kind of explains Lenore a little bit more. Yeah, is why she's so angry and... She's so angry. And remember, if it hadn't been for that so-called faith... You know, they wouldn't have shunned Eileen as much when she did get pregnant. Right. They would have right. supported her and helped her and, you know, shown her that she still had love and that she um, could come back to them for for help and for support. And, 
um, show that the baby was going to be loved as well. But no, that. But see, it was all about saving face, you know, in the church. As far as like she she didn't she was saying that they were all staring at me and they were all looking at me and it was all about her and how Aaron's looking at me because word <laughs> but uh, you know it it was just one of those things where she it was all about her and how it made her feel and she really didn't put herself into her daughter's position until it was too late. And then she's carried this grief and this guilt and this disdain for herself because she couldn't even do that for her own daughter. And then if she goes and does this to his wife, then she feels like she's actually dishonoring her daughter for not doing it with her daughter. And as for someone who's actually lost a husband, I dealt with this, um, as far as an an emotional battle, because it was like, well, you know, I can't, I can't say certain things at first because I was worried that it would dishonor my late husband with my new husband, but really it was a totally different relationship. And it took me a long time to be able to process that it was okay to move on and let go and let go of my guilt and, and all of that because, I needed to honor my husband and not my late husband. And I feel like she had that same inner battle between how she was treating Machigo and how she was treating her daughter at that time. So I feel like there was that battle. And I actually understood it better than probably most because I've been kind of in that metal, mental battle. And it's a really hard one to actually know where you draw the line. And so yep. I felt for her there. So that's why I, yeah. I, I was able to relate to that scene. Yeah. Look, I get that. I just find it ironic that, you know, it's the unfair expectation and the the kind of shame that is felt by the church and has put her in, Lenore, in this situation where she's feeling immense guilt and she's still trying to use her faith as a means of her morality. And I'm like, no, it's because of your faith that – you know, you weren't able to support your daughter. And, right. you know, so it would just be nice if she was able to separate in her mind. It's perfectly fine to have your faith and your own beliefs, but also live your life and, you know, love your family and do oh. try and do the right thing in the situations that you're in. But see, so, that's where a lot of people hang up even today when you've got the LGBTQ, LMNOP crowd. My daughter always laughs when I say that. Because there's so many parents out there that, in fact, I was at my church group. And I'm not going to say anything else as far as the church group goes, but we were doing Bible study. And there was one woman who ended up saying that her son was gay and how she was praying for him because she knew it was wrong and da 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 and yet she still had to love her son and she was trying she was battling between the two because you know in the bible it says man should not lay with man and woman should not lay with woman blah 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 however there are some people out there who won't once they find out that their child is of this that's it. They're done. Like their religion or their faith or their beliefs. It doesn't even have to be religious beliefs, but just their beliefs in general. It could be just like a macho man dad or a very, what do you call it? Ignorant woman, you know, a mom that they don't, 
they're like, no, you're not going to give me children or you're not going to give, I'm sorry, you're not going to give me grandchildren or what the case be. They disown their children. And it's the same type of thing that even happens now. It, it It's crazy. It's just, I, I can't even put into words the thought process that would go through them about them abandoning their child because of a certain thought or belief or whatever the case may be. It just, I don't know, just blows me away. Yeah, I know. Well, look, we might be kind of arguing, you know, two sides of the same coin here, but I think we're all in agreement that, you know, it's perfectly fine to have faith or not have faith. Use it to help shape your your sense of morality, although don't compare your morality to your religion. Use it to help shape your beliefs and decide how you're going to raise people. But, you know, that's your belief. It's not anyone else's. Right. So don't get involved in anyone else's life. Everyone's allowed to live the way that they are and the way that they choose. I, I, I saw a really funny quote, which I think suits this. Religion is like a penis. It's a fine thing to have and to take pride in. But as soon as you whip it out in public and wave it in people's faces, we have a problem. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So... And I don't know how much of that's going to end up in the podcast. But <laughs> well, if it's, yeah, I would say if it has to do anything my husband, he'll put it in there. It'll stay in there. <laughs> Probably too much of it. <laughs> uh. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to think if there was anything else quantum leap related that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> well, you think I'll go and chime in some thoughts real quick. Uh, yeah, we – sorry, we did commandeer the episode, yeah. didn't we, uh, Aaron? If I had feelings, he'd be hurt. No. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree. I'm like you on this episode, uh, Hayden. I, I like it. It's not one of my top ten. But yeah, if it's on, I'm not going to turn it off. I, I did enjoy this episode. The Ma Lenore. Uh, Kate Callahan, I actually... I saw her here first, I guess. But I came to know her from uh, Lo- uh, Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. She played Martha Kent in that one. Yep. I think her name's actually Kay Callan, not Callahan, by oh, the way. Okay, just in case she decides to listen to us and uh, I don't want her getting offended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought I heard Kay Callahan somewhere. Hey, maybe Callan. Yeah. But you know, I, I say it was a great episode overall. It was, uh, I mean, yeah, you guys have said most of what needs to be said about it. Uh, I, I do like Sam, being Sam, like I say, a lot of this comes from having watched the entire series. So like Michelle was talking about when, you know, he was being very uh, concerning and very loving towards Machiko. Machiko. I'll get it straight one of these days. Uh, when she would, well, you're right. It's Machiko. With, with the whole makeup on. thing. <laughs> yeah, that's very much a Sam thing to do. And yeah, some of these I would like to see, wish there was a way to come back and, and see like a year later, two years later in the life of some of these people. Because it'd be interesting to see. And then sometimes Al does tell us, well, this happens and this happens. So uh, I do like that when Sam, sorry, when Al was able to kind of follow up with Sam and let him know what happens. Uh, we didn't get so much here, so we don't know how it's going to turn out, but apparently it's going to turn out better than it did the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just some trivia real quick I picked up from uh, IMDb. This episode occurred on uh, four days before Sam's actual birth of August the 8th. Uh, there was a comment here that nothing was mentioned about the state being outside his life, so they assumed it was an error by the show's creator. That yeah. he left. No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it's only four days before he was right. born. Well, I mean, he was obviously is, alive right. in um, in the belly. Well, so. this is on, on the uh, IMDb. 
I agree with you 100%. Yeah. It says on there that since then, <clears throat> Donald Belisario has stated that Sam's lifetime actually dates back to his conception and not his birth. So there was another episode earlier on, I think, where he left it. Yeah, it was um, it was the noir one. What was yeah. that one called again? Uh, Played against Seymour. Yeah. Because that was in April of 1953, right, which was what, a, what? how many months after April is August, May, June, July, or four months before his birth. Oh, you're the best guy. Yeah. So, I mean, by that stage, it's easily the second trimester leading into the third. So, well, yeah. yeah so, he's obviously episode. alive then, too. Yeah, it's, a, it's something we talked about during that episode that, you know, some people think it's, you know, conception. Some think it's somewhere between. Some think it's at birth. So, again, apparently this wraps it, clears it up that Donald Belisario thinks that Sam's lifetime begins at conception. So uh, another trivia point on there, when Char- Charlie's being embraced by his father in front of the sign at the bus station, a woman is seen in the foreground, out of focus, passing from right to left. Just after that, Machiko approaches them. Machiko. Machiko. <laughs> Machiko approaches them to within a couple of feet, as you can see through the truck. So I guess she was at right there, and we just didn't see her. Anachronism, apparently Rusty mentions the Baltimore Orioles. But I guess that baseball team would not exist until 1954. Yeah, because they were called the St. Louis Browns until 1954. Okay. Yeah, see, it's baseball. I don't know. Yep. Uh, at the end, <laughs> I only watched this on the NBC app. We didn't watch it on the DVD this time or the Blu-ray this time. So I'm not sure where that one ended. But on the NBC app, he leapt into Jesse. Oh, uh, okay. And according to the IMDb, that he leapt into Jesse Tyler, uh, the Black Chauffeur from Season 1, Episode 6. Suggesting the episodes do not occur in chronological order from Sam and Al's point of view. It uh, says that the episodes were likely reordered to avoid having two sequential episodes with racial themes. Uh, the reason. No, it was actually just because the original broadcast leapt into a repeat of The Color of Truth. And don't worry, I'm going to read it. It says the reason this episode ends with a leap into Color of Truth is because that installment was originally scheduled to air as a rerun a week later on Wednesday, yeah. October the 18th. However, the screening was preempted due to NBC's coverage of the Loma Prieta earthquake which occurred on October the 17th. Since that rerun of Color never aired, recap scenes for Machiko were subsequently edited on the beginning of the October 25th premiere of What Price Gloria. Just yep. an interesting little thing. The title of this episode is similar to a 1982 Facts of Life episode, The Americanization of Miko. Uh, both episodes probably got their title from the 1963 James Garner, Julie Andrew film, The Americanization of Emily. Yeah. And I wasn't sure what it was. I knew there was another movie or something with a similar name. That this is probably based on. And the opposing baseball team has Toledo on their uniforms. When things come nearly come to a blows, the Toledo Mudhens minor league team logo could be seen clearly on Rusty's hat. So it's a few points of for my MDB trivia. You know, it's funny that uh in this episode, Sam really treats Machiko like an equal. And oh it seems to me like Charlie probably hadn't done that in their marriage. Right. So how do you think Charlie would react when he returns to 1953 and finds his wife ready to start the women's lib movement? Yeah, and that's something Michelle's commented on before that what's going to happen, you know, when you got this nice guy, Sam leaps out and a, a jerk or whoever it is comes back. So, yeah, maybe that's why Charlie married her is because of the whole Japanese thing and, you know, being subservient to him. And, yeah, he's going to come back and she's going to be, you know, burning her bra and... All the, you know, you make dinner. I, you know, I go out and work. And he's like, what way? Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. Husband's money is wife's money, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's a very good advice. Michelle's brought that up several times 
it wonders what happens, you know, when, when the person returns. So that would, and that's another reason I'd like to see some of these, like I said, in the future, to see how the Leap E is affected by Sam being there and the changes that Sam's made to their life. Actually, in that case, read one of the Quantum Leap novels called Foreknowledge. It was actually written by Christopher D. Philippus, who's the host of the Quantum Leap podcast now. And that actually centers around one of the Leapies. Yes, there was also Um, a comic book issue that focused on a a sequel to one of the episodes. Yeah, that one one was up against a stone wall. There you go. Mike, remember the name of that one? Yeah, I read almost all the novels. So, yeah, and I read that. It was very good. Yeah. No, he's been very kind and given me a signed copy. So <laughs> I'm sure if you buy one and tell him, oh, sign this for me, he would. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. But uh, Yeah. But uh, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that I want to discuss. Actually, yes, there is. Uh, Michelle, I left you some homework in our last episode. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what the homework was? Nope. Okay, so I'm going to have to put you in detention then. <laughs> All right. the The question that I that I asked last time that I wanted you to think about is: Do you think that what Sam has been doing throughout his leaps has been affecting his like his personal life? What personal life? He's well, you know what I mean. Like, like his, like the his lifetime. Do you think he's been affected by the changes that he is doing to other people's lives? Well, yeah. I mean, it, anything that you've been through in your life changes you, whether it be good or bad. You're a product of your environment. You're a product of what you've been through. You're a product of things, your morals and your in your uh, personal uh, goals and everything else like that. So, I mean, he definitely is, has been, uh, through things that he not necessarily would have gone through had he not been leaping through time, space, and whatnot. Um, so I, maybe I didn't explain the question properly. Uh, (laughs) uh, you're obviously right. The stuff that he's doing now is going to affect, you know, his thought processes and his like what he's going to go through in future. But what I'm saying is the changes to the timeline that he's caused. Do you think that's affected? Yeah, there's ripple effects. It's affecting him. Yeah. Personally. Do you think the ripple effects of that have affected stuff that goes, that has gone on during, during him growing up in his lifetime? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you don't know. think so. I, I didn't say that. I, I did not say I don't think so. I said I don't know. Ah, uh, sorry. All I heard was no, <laughs> not I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't see okay. how. I don't know. I, I I don't know how to answer that. Sorry. That's all right. Well, I'll. Um, Why don't you answer it? I'll give you a, a little extension for that little piece of homework then. No, that's okay. <laughs> I hope you don't uh, I hope you don't let it pile up too much because I've got more for you. But <laughs> but uh, I'm sure Aaron, you know the reason why I'm asking that question in this episode. Can you yeah. think of the reason? Uh, I got a couple of reasons. I've already you know, I've been on record already saying that I think the things he does leaping through time causes ripple effects, which makes changes of the project, but you're going somewhere different with that. 
Okay, well, when they're in the wedding scene, you know, Sam's saying, oh, I'm sweating here and um, if, you know, if we d- I don't hurry up and leap, leap, then I'm going to be marrying Machiko and uh, and uh, Al says something like, well, you weren't sweating the first time and that implies that uh, maybe Sam might have gotten married in his lifetime now. But they said he was his best man a long time ago anyways. Yeah, but that was in like the... Well, yeah, I mean, that was in the wedding that they said didn't happen, but we haven't got any confirmation um, but it doesn't on mean... what happened after he affected Donna. So, Well, but still, I mean, just because he was sweating at the altar doesn't mean that that's not when Don- Donna left. See, I think, you're, I think part of the problem is you're looking at this with too much knowledge, Hayden. <laughs> I don't want to say too much, but we probably already have. But it, it could have been related to the first incident that, yeah, when Al... Sorry, when Sam told Al that he was going to make Ziggy his best man or whatever this time, it could have been related to the same thing when he was going to marry Dawn and she ran off on him. He could have been already standing at the altar, sweating it up, and then someone comes up to him and says, hey, this isn't going to happen. She has left the building. Elvis has left the building. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I see it. So, yeah. Well, look, we we just don't know what Al was was actually meaning by his jokes, right. but there's a good possibility that Sam's know. intervention may have changed something in his life and that it could have been a Freudian slip. Yeah, that's what I, that's I, know. I watched. Again, I don't want to say too much in case anyone else is doing this for the first time and in case Michelle hasn't picked up on it yet. Are we going to have to put a pin in it? I think so. <laughs> Michelle shaking her head. But yeah, I think we're going to have to put a pin in this because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say too much, but... I, I was wondering about that comment, but I was going to pin it for a couple of years. Uh, Michelle, do you Fair have any enough. thoughts on this episode of Quantum Leap? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, well, it's fair enough. That That's just sometimes the feeling that we have with particular episodes. It's an episode. It was fun to watch, but, you know, it, it might not leave anything really lasting yeah, well, no, it, uh, I enjoy it. You can it's, say that. I, yeah, I, I don't put the words, you know, don't put words in my mouth. Well, put some words in your own mouth then. <laughs> hey, any other thoughts on this episode? No, I think I've said everything that I wanted to, um, <laughs> despite the fact that it does break some of my rules that I've come up with in my head, like the fact that Ziggy's supposed to actually be useful and... Uh, and a couple of other little things that I don't like about religion coming up. Um, yeah, it's still very entertaining. Uh, we haven't really talked much about um, the the whole kidnapping and attempted, you know, murder of Machiko by Rusty or anything like that. But I don't know if there's anything that we do want to say about that, other than that it was well acted. Yes, yeah, so and Michelle touched on that a bit when she was talking earlier. But, yeah, I, I do agree that, yeah, it was well done. And, yeah, I agree with Michelle. Yeah, when that was going on, yeah, it was like you're, you're screaming it in your head at, you know, or get out of the truck. Don't try, you know. We know he's up to no good. Even though, he, like Michelle said, he hadn't said very much. You could tell from his looks and, and the gazes he was giving her throughout the episode. That boy, he ain't up to no good. <laughs> but, no, um, I do have some more homework for Michelle, though, because... In our next episode, I believe the plan is that since it's uh, the first one where Sam leaps into a woman, we've also been given permission for Michelle to watch 
Miss Deep South, which is where he leaps into the Beauty Queen. So we might make it a double episode there. And with that in mind, I'd just like Michelle to think about, is the project changing and evolving over time? Well, it had to. It has to. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's anything noticeable or if it's anything that's worth commenting on, something like that. Lego communicator eventually. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, look, uh, it's just something to keep in mind that I'd like you to have a think about. And I already have the answer. Yeah, there's definitely some other stuff that we can talk about to do with auras and particular body parts and the mechanics of it but i'm sure we'll get to that when we get (laughs) into our next podcast (laughs) yeah yeah well we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with the rest of our show attention attention all personnel new from the fire and water podcast network it's mashcast Hosted by MASH megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHcast analyzes, episode by episode, the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHcast on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Jocularity! Jocularity! Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfischtafner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? I uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC events, as in the comic books. DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very. Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't think I can claim you on <laughs> benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. Podcast Network, it's MASHcast. Hosted by MASH megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHcast analyzes, episode by episode, the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHcast on fireandwaterpodcast.com. 
Jocularity! Jocularity! And welcome back to the Starbright Project. We now bring you... This'll be the day that I die Did you write the book of... Sam's playlist. And these are the top songs, songs, the top songs for August of 1953. Uh, there's only two songs this time. The first one was on the Billboard's top 100 list from July the 25th through August 1st. I guess it was two weeks. It was August 20, July 25th and August 1st. It was on the Billboard's. So when Sam left in, this was the top song for that week. It's called I'm Walking Behind You by Eddie Fisher. Let's go and listen to a few bars of that and see if we know that one. I'm walking behind you on your wedding day, and I'll hear you promise to love. Okay, so that was Walk I'm Walking Behind You by Eddie Fisher. Uh, that was written by Billy Reed and published in 1953. The original version was by Dorothy Squires and was recorded in the United Kingdom with the orchestra of Billy Reed, which was the author of the song. Uh, Eddie Fisher's rendition of the song with soprano and music teacher Sally Sweetland became a number one hit single on both the Cashbox and Billboard record charts in 1953 in the U.S., as well as reaching number one in the U.K. singles chart. Let me see, the recording by Eddie Fisher and Hugo Wolterhalter's orchestra and chorus was made on 7th of April, 1953, and released by RCA Victoria in both 78 and 45 RPM single formats through its catalog, numbers, blah, blah, blah. Don't care about that. Uh, the same year, Frank Sinatra released his own rendition of the song in his very first recording session at Capitol Records on the 2nd of April. Uh, this recording with backing orchestras by Axel Strodal. Uh, was issued as a single by Capitol and peaked at number seven on the Billboard pop charts. And that's all I really have to say about that. Uh, Michelle, did you, have you heard that before? Nope. Do you care for that? Nope. Didn't think so. Uh, Hayden, <laughs> have you heard that before? Nope. Did you care for that? Nope. And same way here. Yeah, I didn't care. For, I didn't, I don't recall hearing that before. I don't care for it. I, I, yeah. Michelle, Look, it's it's very old fashioned. I guess all you can yes. really say is that it kind of fits in the time. But yeah, no, with 1953, I think you probably got to expect that they haven't really gotten into the rock and roll era yet. But like Michelle has said in previous episodes, a lot of the songs that happen to come up when we're leapt into, leaped into, aren't very good songs. But uh, <laughs> so I guess that's all we got to say about that one. Uh, let's go ahead and quickly move on to the next song. This was a long time. This was from August the 8th through the week of September the 26th. This was called 
Vaya con Dios, May God Be With You, by Les Paul and Mary Ford. Let's go take a listen to that. May God be with you. Um, let's go and get some thoughts on that real quick. Hayden. Hayden. Wake up. Hayden. Yeah, well, um, yeah, God can keep them, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> um, not my cup of tea. I mean, it sounds nice, but not really something that I would go go for to try and listen to um you know out of my own um want right. see i can't even think of what the right words are here but yeah i guess uh august 1953 just was not a good a good month for music at least in america <laughs> maybe i better have a quick look and see if i can save this with the australian charts Hang on. look i'll get some information on this because that's the best i got to say about it it was written by larry yeah. russell Inez James and Buddy Pepper, and first recorded by Anita O'Day in December of 1952. Les Paul and Mary Ford had a number one recording of this in 1953. That's why we're talking about it. This is the most popular version of the song. It was released uh, with Johnny as a Boy for Me on the flip side in May of 1953. Uh, da da da, a lot of information here about it. The only other interesting thing on here two things. One, in 2005, uh, this version of the recording was inducted to the Grammy Hall of Fame. And the other interesting thing on this is it seems like almost everyone back in the day has done a version of this song. Bing Crosby, Gene Autry, Chet Atkins, Desi Arnaz, who actually sung it, I guess, in a couple episodes of I Love Lucy. Chuck Berry did a version of this. Nat King Cole, The Drifters, Tony Lander and Don, plus a bunch of other people have done a version of this, which is just amazing because, again, I, I did not care for it. Uh, Michelle. I'm sure you really enjoyed this song. Michelle, wake up. You wake up, too. Do you, what did you think about this song? Nope. No? Don't you have anything more nope. insightful, more, you know, how the the octonal leverages and uh, whatever? Okay. Hayden, can you save this segment? Yeah, well, interestingly, I've just had a look at the Australian music charts for 1953, and uh, I recognized one. Um hey. In between, for the weeks of the eighth of August and the fifteenth of August, uh, number one was "How Much Is That Doggy in the Window" by Patty How Page. How much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> the one with the waggly tail. How much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> I do hope that dog is for sale. I must take a trip. To California and leave my poor sweetheart alone. 
If he has a dog, he won't be lonesome And the doggie will have a good home How much is that doggie in the window? Just a nice little novelty song somehow managed to reach number one. <laughs> You've heard that one, haven't you, Michelle? Yeah. How much is that dog? You know. See, and yes, thank you, Hayden. You came to the rescue for this segment. Because, yeah, that's. I think that's a much better song than the two we just listened to. Yeah. But also, um, uh, there was one that was number one for six weeks from the 22nd of August onwards. Uh, it was called The Song from Moulin Rouge, which was actually like the theme song for the movie Moulin Rouge in 1952. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know how the song goes. I don't know if they reused it in uh, in the remake with Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor, but, yeah, Never seen uh, maybe you might want to have a little play of that and see what it's like. suppose it uh, must have been good enough to be on the charts for six weeks. Although in America you had some crap song for six weeks, so I'm not that that, uh, optimistic. Uh, (laughs) And in the week of the 1st of August of that year, we've got a song called Tell Me a Story by Terry Gilkinson. I don't know if you know that song. Nope. I don't know that one myself, but yeah, let's just say um, 1953, um, generally the 50s are considered kind of the start of the rock and roll era, and I guess 1953 was not part of that. (laughs) (laughs) Although at the end of 1953, we've got uh, Jimmy Boyd with I Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus. Okay, that's a good one. So it must be starting to get into some, some fun ones. Although I've seen, I'm just looking at 1954, just scrolling through, I'm starting to see more than I recognise. Like, that's Amore and Oh My Papa. Hmm. And what else can I see that I recognise? Oh, here we go. Shaboom, shaboom. <laughs> oh, that's another one I recognise. So, look, maybe we're just in a very poor month and a poor year, but uh, uh, the 1950s were very good to music, especially when they start getting into the rock and roll era. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'll land in a good year one of these days. Um, well, look, we're only going to be leaping in Sam's lifetime now, so I think we're pretty well set. Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on from this segment here that's put everyone to sleep to a brush with history. Uh, yeah, I need some caffeine, by the way. I'll just take a sip. <laughs> There's only one real thing that we can really mention for a brush with history was the Korean War.
August the 8th, the U.S. and South Korea initial had a mutual security pact. So, just real quick, some on the Korean War, it began on June the 25th of 1950, when North Korea invaded the South Korea, following clashes along the border, insurrections in the South. The war ended unofficially on the 27th of July, 1953, in an armistice. And the armistice lasted from July of 1953 through November of 1954. Um, so apparently at the, at the surrender of Japan at the end of World War II, on the 15th of August, 1945, Korea was divided to 38th parallel into two zones of occupation. The Soviets took care of the north half, and the Americans administered the southern half. Uh, the fighting of the Korean War ended on July the 27th, 1953, when the Korean Armistice Agreement was signed. The agreement created the Korean Demilitarized Zone to separate North and South Korea and allow the return of prisoners. However, no peace treaty was ever signed, and the two Koreas are technically still at war, engaged in a frozen conflict. Yeah. Well, also on the note of war, um, just leading, uh, talking about the racism that is demonstrated towards Machiko in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this is some information from Beyond the Mirror Image that Matt's kindly put in for us. Uh, the racism demonstrated towards Machiko was only too real at this time in Western history, particularly in the US. Uh, World War II, in which the Japanese had played a significant part after joining forces with the Germans and Italians in 1936 had ended in 1945, just eight years before this episode was set. But moreover, the surrender of Japan came around three weeks after the victory of Germany, but a peace treaty with the Japanese was not formally signed until 1951. So there was still conflict um, even after the official end of the war in Japan. In the allied countries of Europe, painful memories largely largely related to their neighbouring countries such as Germany itself. America, though, still suffered recollection of Japan's attack on Pearl Harbour in 1941 and themselves were responsible for dropping atomic bombs on Japan four years later. Uh, So uh, I think my recollection of this episode was correct, actually, that that Charlie had been over in Japan uh, for something to do with... um, something to do with the end of the Second World War and maybe it stayed a little longer than might have been necessary, but we know why, because he's found a wife and wants to start a life with her. Yeah, so I just thought it was important to point that out too because based on what we saw actually in the episode. Do you have any thoughts about the Korean War? Do you have any role? I mean... Nope. I know at times you like history and stuff. Are you familiar with that very much? Does that happen? Uh, the only thing I'm familiar with is MASH. <laughs> I've got that on a note. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, there's the quote, look, uh, I think it's from South Park, where he says, uh, look up for Charlie up in the trees or something like that. Pull up flank. Look out for Charlie up in the trees. But every time you guys mention Charlie's name and the Korean War, <laughs> because didn't they call them Charlies or something, some derogatory? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I know the Germans were called Jerry's. I know. I really... No, they, they, it was either it was it the uh, Charlie's the up Jap- in the trees. Japanese, I believe, was called. Was, they called him Charlie. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that, but well, then that's 
probably a poor choice of name for the character in this episode then. <laughs> but yeah, they- Maybe they just weren't very imaginative. Podcasting editor's note. It was actually in Viet- the Vietnam War. The North Vietnamese were called Charlie. Viet Cong, they were known as Charlie by the U.S. soldiers. Just as a uh, correction here. Carry on the show, guys. I'm always interested in history, but uh, it, it, yeah, maybe they could have done a bit better job talking about what Charlie was actually doing in Japan. But sorry, keep going, like Michelle. From South Park. Yeah. yeah, Cartman says it. Yeah. So, and I, 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 I believe it was one of like the first few episodes or something where he says it. But uh, yeah, that was when Carmen used to just come out with stupid crap. Like when he's talking about the gun he used in Nam, yeah. even though, yeah, I think even though, the same episode. even though he was oh, obviously oh, not in friend. Vietnam with, with it having time. ended two decades in advance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but look, it would would have been nice to get a little bit more historical context for what Charlie had actually been doing. But no, mm-hmm. I can live with what we saw. Yeah, it would have been nice yeah, if they would have had a little more time or a little more, yeah, a little more context of what where he was. We just only got back from the war, like I said, the. Uh, Several different places refer to it. He got back from the Korean War, and this was right after that, so you can imagine probably what it was. But And it makes more sense why What's-His-Name was angry. Because he was probably... Uh, Rusty? Uh, yeah, Biff. Like he was probably a prisoner of war at some point, and that's why he said all he said. Right. Yep. And that must have been the Second World War, because that's when we were at war with Japan, not with Korea. And that's why he hated Japs, what right. he called Japs. Yeah. And again, my real reference to South Korea, as Michelle mentioned, is from Ash, of course. The show came out around the time of the Vietnam War, but it, it was talking about the Vietnam War, but it was set during the Korean War. Podcasting editing note two. Um, I think that's why I was getting confused earlier. Because, as I just said, the uh, MASH in the Showtime took place during the Korean War, but in reality was there during the, the Vietnam, Vietnam War. And the Vietnam War is where the, the North Vietnamese were called Charlie. So I think somehow in my head I was getting the two mixed up. And, uh, again, sorry, Hayden, for if I mixed you up there. Uh, but it was the North Vietnamese that were called Charlie, not the Koreans. All right, show's almost over, so let's get back to it. And if you like the show MASH, definitely check out MASHcast, uh, a friend of the network. He's got his got a show that uh, Rob Kelly does the MASHcast, so definitely check that out where he's looking at the episodes of that show. But uh, I guess unless anyone else has anything else to say, because I say it's yeah, the yeah. Korean War uh, tied into World War II. So that's a very real-world brush of history there. I think it's really clever when a show can comment on things that are going on in present day by looking at things that have happened in the past, oh, like yeah. what you're talking about with MASH, yes. how they were commenting on Vietnam by you know, referencing Korea. I, I tend to find um, media that does that quite clever. Another good example is, uh, have you ever read The Crucible? Yes. <laughs> We, yeah. We talked well, about the, the, that 
on a previous <laughs> well the uh the reason i bring that up is because at the time uh it was written it was an allegory for the witch hunts that were going on against the communists so you know over yeah. on an episode of voyager's cast a couple of months ago we talked about that because crucible i think michelle knows something about that story i do <laughs> but yeah so uh michelle hmm. any other thoughts on this episode or anything we've talked about today no, I think we've covered it all. Hayden, any final thoughts? No, just that it's an episode. It's an enjoyable episode, thankfully, but um, it still doesn't reach past episode status for me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. yeah, some of them reach God tier soon enough. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was a good episode, but yeah, it wasn't one again. But like we said many times before, even a bad episode of Quantum Leap is good. And this was nowhere near a bad episode, so it just wasn't a top ten episode. For you guys. For Michelle's one, but again, she's... Well, you've only seen about ten episodes, haven't you? So they're all in the top ten so far. No, (laughs) trust me. So uh, now that we've finished this episode and we get to go on to our next one, why don't you chuck the hand link and kind of give us an idea where we're going? All right, let me go ahead and pull the hand leak out. And, uh, oh, okay, oh, very interesting. Oh. What? What? What do you mean, what? Tell me something. What do you mean, what? No, um, how do you, how do you feel about women? Um, they're smushy. I don't know. They're. I agree. Oh, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. How do you feel about men being women? Hey, whatever floats your boat. Well, we'll find out next episode. Oh boy! Thank you for listening to the Starbright Project. Join us monthly as we continue leaping with Sam and Al. If you like the show, I recommend buying Quantum Leap on Blu-ray. You can also watch it on the NBC website or app. The only thing on this show that Michelle and I own are our thoughts and opinions. NBC Universal own the rights to Quantum Leap, and any songs that we use are owned by their respective owners. Any clips we use, we're using good faith for the show. I know this doesn't excuse us legally, but we just want NBC to sue us. We're as big fans of the show and want to share that love with the world. For more podcasting goodness, check out the other shows on the Headcast Network. Head Speaks is released on the first Tuesday of the month, where I talk about comics, TV shows, movies, books, and whatever I want, but it's usually geek-related. G.I. Joe, Royal Market Headcast, is normally out the second Tuesday of the month, where a rotating batch of guest hosts and I discuss the G.I. Joe comics and cartoons from the 80s. The third Thursday brings us Task Force X, where I talk about John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics, both from the late 80s, early 90s. Finally, the fourth Tuesday of the month, we have the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I examine the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comics, again, both from the late 80s. Then on Thursdays, I release my second batch of shows, where Michelle shows up on most of them. The first Thursday of the month, I'll be releasing the Starbright Project, a Quantum Leap podcast, where Michelle and I look at the greatest time travel show in the late 80s and early 90s. Then the second Thursday of the month, look for Retrospect of the 80s. You guessed it, Michelle and myself take a time travel trip back to the greatest decade that was, in my opinion. The third Thursday will possibly, maybe, bring another show, Voyager's Cast, where Michelle, I, and some guests look at the best time travel show from the early 80s. And finally, on the fourth Thursday of the month, I have Bravo Team, 
where myself and possibly some guest hosts talk about anything G.I. Joe related, not covering the main G.I. Joe show. Also, if you like what I'm doing, please check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash headcastnetwork. If you're enjoying my shows, throw a few bucks in the bin. It'd be most appreciated. But that'll do it for this episode. Join us next time to see where Sam ends up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.